What gets even more confusing is when an elder's got behaviors, either delusions, anger, and then how much is the elder and how much is the medications? Mm-hmm. So I see that a lot. That on top of a lot of doctors are like, well, there's nothing to do. They have dementia, so sorry. Thank you for joining me today as we discuss more about dementia and elder care. This is a Season of Caring podcast where there's hope for living, loving, and caring with no regrets. And I'm your host, Raina Nysis. Today, we have special guest, Dr. Liz Landsberg. Dr. Liz has been a geriatrician for over 20 years. She's been the assistant professor of medicine at USC. She trained at Harvard and also was a consultant to the Elder Abuse Forensic Center in San Francisco. With all of her experience, she has put together a new book that she's just released, Living in the Moment, A Guide to Overcoming Challenge and Finding Moments of Joy in Alzheimer's Disease and Other Dementias. And I'm excited to have her talk with us today and share some of her experiences and a wealth of her knowledge. Welcome today, Dr. Liz. Good to have you. Well, thank you, Raina. I'm so excited to talk to someone from my home country. I know, it's amazing. From Wichita, Kansas, there's not many people out there who even know where we're from. It's okay, it's their loss. It's a great place. A lot of people talk about just a Passover land, but it's a beautiful place. And we farm the wheat land, just a beautiful um, place to be. So now in Big sky. I'm sorry? Big sky. Yes, it's beautiful. You don't realize how far you can see until you go to other places in the country that you can. You've been in California for quite a while now. And as a geriatrician, share with us a little bit about what you find is most challenging for families. Well, there's many things that are challenging. I guess there's there's different categories. I think the first challenges are when someone's behaviors have started to change, whether they're in their 50s, 60s, 70s, or 80s, you know, they might get more angry than they mean to, or they're just not bathing. They're not taking care of their appointments. You know, they're having little accidents with the cars. They're like, oh, it's nothing. There's no problem. Or they're starting to get swindled. You know, mm. that people are calling them and they're like, oh, I'll just send this money and then I'm going to get thousands of dollars back. And you take them to the doctor and the doctor does a general exam or listens to them and socially they sound okay. And so you don't get a more in-depth evaluation and a diagnosis. And so that person is still at risk. I just saw someone yesterday who basically can't find her way out of a paper bag. She can't remember what medication she takes, what day it is. She doesn't know what happened the day before. And Basically, at this point, they're wanting me to do it to pass the evaluation. Well, she's got pretty advanced dementia. Mm. Um, But then there's other people who are like, no, I'm fine. There's no problem. Mm. I have a little pearl for those folks. If you have someone draw a clock and have it say 10 minutes after 11 and then have them calculate 25% of $22.50, seems pretty easy. When you start to lose your abstract reasoning, which is a sign that the frontal lobes or your judgment is going, that becomes a lot harder. And so when you start to see problems there, it's like, ooh, maybe we should go get more of an evaluation. Another problem I see is if there's not much money and mom is nasty or mom needs more help or mom's in a place that's inexpensive, like an assisted living, but she's falling, she's not getting out of bed, she's not changing her clothes, she's not bathing. She really needs a higher level of care, a dementia community or to be home with family or something. And the family's like, oh, well, but we don't have the money. You know, our mom doesn't want that. So 
we can't make her do that. Well, if someone's not safe, you need to do it. It's it's one of those things. Sometimes it is hard to find a team. I've given talks to National Adult Protective Services conferences, and I'm like, yeah, just go get a doctor and a neuropsychologist to do an evaluation. They're like, we don't have doctors in the area. We have a couple of nurse practitioners. I'm like, oh, wow. So it depends. Everyone's got a county division on aging, and they will direct you to the local resources. Also, the Alzheimer's Association often will tell you what the local resources are. I think another big problem is the family conflict. Mm-hmm. All those things have been brewing for 40, 50, 80 years that really come to fore when someone's failing and there's money involved. We see that a lot out here. It sounds like getting the diagnosis, both for the person who doesn't think that there is a problem and then also just finding the resources to be able to get that diagnosis. I was surprised. I volunteer with the Alzheimer's Association and I was surprised to hear that even when people are diagnosed, 50% of them aren't even told that they have it. So oftentimes it's in their records, but they were verbally told that they had Alzheimer's or were in certain stages. Really? Yes. And so I think a lot of times that communication is a big, big issue. So being able to get the help that you need as well as get the person on board to get help. And then you were mentioning finances. It sounds like that is a, a challenge that you run into frequently. Someone wanting to spend the money and maybe not having the money. Right. Yeah, those are those are the big ones. I mean, that's not even getting to what I'm usually brought in for. It's when someone gets more angry than usual, when they get paranoid, when they refuse all care. And usually they've been to the doctor and the doctor's given them some anxiety pills, some Ativan, some Xanax, you know, help with anxiety and help their sleep. Well, that's like giving shots of vodka. So basically mm. making these people with dementia into alcoholics. And then they get, I mean, you know, I've worked in city hospitals and alcoholics, whether they're on a bender or whether they're withdrawing, can be really difficult to work with. And so what gets even more confusing is when an elder's got behaviors, either delusions, anger, and then how much is the elder and how much is the medications? Mm -hmm. So I see that a lot. That on top of a lot of doctors are like, well, there's nothing to do. They have dementia. So, you know, sorry. (laughs) That's kind of it. So outside of medications, how do we help with some of those behaviors? Well, well, I think a good way to explain it was, you know, one family wanted me to come in and treat their mom. The facility said that she was getting angry and irritable and was trying to move around a lot. Well, it turned out they want her to stay in one chair in the same place all day long. And so I told the family, I'm not medicating her. You got to get her to a better place where they're going to engage her. They're going to watch her. They're going to get her up and move her around. And they're like, yeah, we're not going to do that. We're firing you and we'll get someone else to medicate her. But Mm. I think, you know, you need to look at, well, what's going on? Are they too bored? Is there too much stimulation? Are they with like 30 other people and there's a blaring TV? Have they been left to sit in a chair all day long and they're getting pain, maybe pressure ulcers? Are they wet? Do they not come change them? Are they scared? Are they delusional? What is going on for the elder? What I really like is either at home or in a uh, facility where there's enough staff and elders are engaged with things they enjoy doing. So, I mean, that's like 80% of it. What I hear see out here is that there's a lot of facilities that look like Hilton hotels, but then there's no staff. So, and the family's like, oh, that looks so nice. I'm like, there's no one there. 
no, take me to one of those rundown places. If there's people where the staff are doing activities with the elders and they look like they enjoy being there and, you know, they're not left to be in bed to sleep during the day and they're up and active. You know, that's that to me is a, a great sign. That's what I would start with. And I know with the different types of dementia that there are definitely some that people have a tendency to be more aggressive with. But majority, that's not a true statement at all. And so many times, like you said, I think it's blamed on them. Oh, that's just the dementia. When it actually, like you said, it's it investigate. I often tell my families that I coach with, you have to put your detective hat and go around and really look at what's happening to be able to figure out why they're having the outbursts. I know as I was caring for my dad, there was always a trigger. There was always a warning <laughs> before he got upset with me. And once I learned to pay attention to those things, either he was frustrated or like you said, forward, that's what led to any kind of aggression at all was just not feeling listened to usually for my dad. That can that can definitely happen with a lot of people, but there are other ones, you know, where the family is loving and attentive and really kind of anticipating what's going on. But the disease makes them just paranoid and angry and nasty. And those people need medication. That is something that I get called for a lot. And the thing that makes me so sad is there's a saying that you shouldn't use antipsychotics for dementia at all. Well, you shouldn't use antipsychotics for someone who's bored or someone who isn't sleeping. But if someone is seriously delusional, paranoid, they think their food is being poisoned, their spouse is having an affair, you know, someone's going to try and kill them, or they're acting out and being angry at other people or going to hurt other people, those people should be treated with the more serious um, psych meds. I mean, if you can give them a little antidepressant that takes the edge off, great. But a lot of times you are going to need a little bit of antidepressants which has its own risks. There's a 2% increased stroke risk and 1% increased sudden death risk, or sometimes mood stabilizers like Depakote. And the thing is, you can use a small amount of it and take that angry edge off. So you're going to hear advocates say, oh, you're just drugging grandma. And that's never the point. The, the point is to take the angry edge off. And if someone's sedated during the day, you've got to cut back the meds. So that you definitely want to look at the behaviors. And then if you've actually work to support all of that, then you can start thinking about medications and not, before, oh, and that you've looked for pain. You know, if you put mm -hmm. someone in a wheelchair and they've got bad back arthritis, well, I'm going to be hitting you too. I was like, leave me alone. Mm -hmm. So important and because they don't communicate pain. And I know as my dad's disease progressed, he really wasn't able to identify. So he would ask, is your leg hurting? And he would say no, but then he would limp down the hall and you're like, okay, something's wrong. So we've got to figure out what it is. And definitely all of us are grumpy when we're in pain, right? So it's not unusual. Right. My first, my top two treatments for agitation are Tylenol several times a day, every day, and ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Ice cream cures a lot of things, doesn't it? Certainly does. Well, <laughs> and, and what you're going to find is there's some medications like Motrin, potassium, Aricept or Dinepazil that make you not want to eat, well, you should get rid of those. But at the same time, if, if elders are not eating regular meals, I had one guy live on Ensure and ice cream for a year and a half. They're older, frail, and won't eat. You're going to die a lot quicker if you don't eat and drink than if you have ice cream every day. So I'm known for the ice cream diet. <laughs> My dad would be right there with you. He loved his ice cream. 
We ended up finding he was having a lot of reflux issues and we had to substitute a rice dream for the ice cream. Ooh, but that but sounds good. We put some chocolate right on it and he loved it just like he did with ice cream. So that's <laughs> well, creative. That was his nightcap. Every night we had ice cream. So. <laughs> well, so and let me say that's a much better nightcap than giving alcohol. There's a lot of people who say, oh, well, mom's always had her Manhattan every night. And so, you know, I couldn't imagine changing it. I'm like, well, you really need to. What I often do is I don't want to take away the ritual, but the alcohol causes more irritability and agitation. So you're just asking for trouble. I've been asked to like work around the fact that they take two or three Valium a day and <laughs> you have a couple drinks. And I'm like, we can't do that, mm-hmm. um, but we can taper it and then keep them busy. And then giving them treats like rice cream sounds wonderful. What keeps most families from getting the help that they need, you think, overall? Well, I would ask you that, but I will give you my uh, perspective. I think that they might go to the regular doctor and the regular doctor goes, yep, Mr. Mencho, and here's some Aricept and that's all you can do. Or the doctor will say, that's not dementia. They're okay. They're just old. And they don't really have an idea of where to go next. I mean, I often get called for the people who've seen two or four doctors already. And so I think it's hard to find resources. I mean, our society does not want to talk about being old. Mm. Certainly don't want to talk about dementia. They'd rather talk about supplements to prevent dementia. So there are scammers out there swindling. Uh, I see there's this end of Alzheimer's idea guy where you just do 36 things and it's supposed to cure Alzheimer's. Well, it doesn't. I have to take care of these people afterwards. And they are charged $10,000 after six months and with $5,000 worth of worthless tests and then 30 supplements a day. And it's much easier to take a pill than to kind of research, as you said, what is the trigger to someone having a difficult time or what reasoning do they have? Do they understand their finances? Do they understand their medical issues? Can they make those decisions? Should they be driving? So I think it is. And then. There are only 3,500 practicing geriatricians in the country at 330 million. And our fellowships are not filling up. I think, you know, it's much more interesting to figure out what's going on with something when little bits are not working than just seeing adults with colds and back pains. But a lot of young doctors don't think of it that way. They'd rather be a cardiologist or a GI doctor and be paid a lot more just to do procedures. (laughs) Yeah, there's definitely a shortage I don't even know that there is a gerontologist at this point around where I live. I know it was something that my dad was in the Kansas City, Missouri area. When I went looking, we couldn't find anybody we could get into in less than six months. Yeah, this is a a geriatrician is the medical doctor, like the pediatrician, the geriatrician, the gerontologist is a social scientist. So I recommend that people go to medical schools. And if you're at the VA, you're probably luckier. So the VA has done a better job of investing in geriatric training in a lot of places. Look for the memory clinic, look for the uh, geriatric clinic in your medical school or the VA is what I'd say. That's a great suggestion. Thank you for mentioning that because I think it is challenging, number one, to even know that you all have different roles, but number two, to be able to find the one that can help answer your questions. I do think telehealth has helped us because there seems to be less barriers at getting to some of the people once the initial intake happens. You know, you I was finding helpful. I was resistant to that because I like to be there. I like to do the sure. exam. I like to kind of get my sense, interact, and you can't really do that as much. But I started doing telemedicine in California, 
And for the last year, I've started doing telehealth and you can do quite a bit. So we, we provide telehealth. I'm a geriatrician. You can send labs, x-rays, doctor's notes. We'll have a 30-minute video visit and I will write down report and the next steps to take to your doctor to help. It's, it's been really helpful because often the big things that I would tell you is Tylenol PM, allergy pills like Benadryl, even Zyrtec is not good, bladder mm. pills, Detrol, Ditropan, not treating pain is a problem. Use of Ativan and Xanax is a problem. Overtreatment of white blood cells and bacteria in the bladder. Just because you have 30 white cells and some bacteria doesn't mean that's an infection. And particularly, you can't blame all the agitation. Sometimes I see it where they keep giving antibiotics, like expecting that's going to make them nicer, and it doesn't, and they keep doing it. And then the poor elder gets the multidrug-resistant bacteria, or they get a Clostridia difficile or a yeast infection. So those... Yeah, those are some of the big things that I run into a lot. Tell us a little bit more about your book, Living in the Moment, and how is it different? There's so many different resources out there. What made you write it and why is it different? Well, this is from a practicing geriatrician's point of view. So I'm not the neurologist that's going to go into the detail of pathophysiology of how you get dementia. I am here to tell you what to look for when someone's having changes and here's how you do the work for dementia. It is like what to expect when you're expecting except for dementia. It's kind of step by step from diagnosis to what to look out for medication-wise, what to do engagement-wise, what to think about if you have to you know, hire help at home, if you're looking for assisted living, what to think about with financial or legal situations, what you should do for planning, issues about financial elder abuse, then a number of vignettes about problems that families have. I find teaching through stories to be very helpful, kind of the interactions of what do I do now, when to think about hospice, kind of from the beginning to the end. I've been on hospice medical director as well, and I've been boarded in internal medicine, geriatrics, and palliative care, so I've kind of done the whole gamut. So offering that beginning to end definitely sounds like it could be helpful for families just to have an idea of where to go and what to look for as they're going through that. What would you say you think needs to be done differently with dementia in general today? The first thing <laughs> is that I think if we really want to do something serious about dementia, we have to do something about the health of Americans because like 75% of us are overweight, 25% of us have diabetes. You know, there's a higher risk of high blood pressure, high cholesterol, heart disease, not even looking at the alcohol and cigarette use. But if we had a national program to help provide better primary care, <laughs> to make sure that we take care of these things before they can happen, and then better training for the, the whole health ecosystem to identify it. And then understand what the financial risks are. And then to help families figure out how you're going to pay for support. I, I think there's some pie in the sky saying, well, yeah, everyone should have their own personal caregiver. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. But what I was thinking, it doesn't sound too bad to me, is if I had a nice home with like five or six people taken care of by two people, that doesn't sound so bad. There are really bad ones where they just make them sit in the chair all day. And that would be awful. Um, but I also work with some particularly uh, women who are either nurses or just very good at caregiving, some nice houses where it's, it's more home-like. And that's, that's nice as opposed to being institutionalized like a nursing home. The other thing 
I read that hospitals and I just have this knot in my stomach. It sounds like a lot of small hospitals across the country are closing and I am sick about it. And that's why I'm trying to have an online platform at drlizgeriatrics.com. There's a lot of medical and useful information and then doing some training for that and then doing telehealth. I am really sad that it seems that we're disinvesting in the health of our more rural communities, which, you know, are the backbone of our society. I, I, I don't have an answer for it. I, I think I'm distressed to see that medicine has become so corporatized and so expensive and that there's a lot of people who, you know, they don't have Medicaid, but they, um, they don't have enough money to take care of everything they need for themselves, for their health as they're getting older. And then for their loved ones when they're old and, and frail and need support. So, yeah, that's a lot, huh? <laughs> it is a lot. <laughs> I think staffing is the biggest issue. And you've mentioned that in multiple different places, both in the facility situation, having enough staff that is trained. Mm-hmm. Having enough staff at all is a challenge today. Trained right. staff is a whole different ball game, And right. I do agree there are so many issues with the rural areas and getting the medical help that you need. And it definitely is, honestly, a lot of it is around not having the doctors to support these hospitals and the nurses as well as others. So yes, financially, I think it's a big part of that, but also a lot of them, I know there's facilities that are closing in Kansas because they don't have staff. And so it's very challenging. There's so much going on in healthcare today that can be discouraging for families. But at the same time, I think it's encouraging us to get more involved and to really support our elders as they continue to age. And we're talking to caregivers. And so I know that those that are listening to us are stepping up and doing what they can and I'm always encouraging them to get a team and to bring the extra support around themselves as well. So I think it's so important to find support beyond just one person trying to do it all. Well, Raina, I mean, what a leader you are to kind of see see the need and kind of start rallying the troops. You know, thank you so much. Well, thank you. It was a great opportunity to visit with you today. Again, listeners, her book is available on Amazon at Living in the Moment, a guide to overcoming challenge and finding moments of joy in Alzheimer's disease and other dementias. Dr. Liz, thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you, Raina. You have a nice evening. Just a reminder, a Season of Caring podcast was created for the encouragement of family caregivers. If you have financial, legal, or medical questions, be sure to consult your local professionals and take heart in your season of caring.